those who have experienced what it means for God to lift us up out of a great sin and to forgive us. Those to whom God has in such an hour sent another brother or sister to whom we might then confess our sin. That person will surely lose all inclination to judge or to hold grudges and will instead want but one thing, to help bear the distress of others. Such a one can no longer hate sinful brothers and sisters, but will instead want only to love them all the more and to forgive them for everything. Echo Pastor Buzz's sentiment. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers out there. I was thinking about moms as I was working on this sermon this week because I feel like we need to give mothers a special token of gratitude that 95% of the content of this sermon was already taught to us growing up by them. We talked about that week one. Our moms are the ones who taught us to forgive. Many of us, our moms are the ones who taught us how to make things right. Our moms are the ones who taught us how to have that tough conversation of, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Our moms were the ones that instilled in us that rhythm that when you do something wrong, you gotta go and fix it. I was thinking about my mom through that lens this week in this concept of making things right because my mom was the one who first gave me a glimpse of how restitution is supposed to work when somebody messes you in a way that causes harm to you. And it happened when I was like 10 years old and I was an avid baseball card collector. I know baseball cards have like come back with a vengeance, right? This was in the early days where we had like three baseball card stores here in Castro Valley. I'd ride my bike down to one of them. I'd pick up like a 1989 Topps pack, throw the gum in my mouth and look for any valuable card. And one day I found a very valuable card in one of the loose packs that I purchased. I think it was a Frank Thomas rookie card valued at $16. Now, which is a lot in 1991 dollars, and even more in age 10 dollars. Like that was, that was more money than I've ever seen in one place, just this card. And so I slid it into the little plastic sleeve, and I couldn't wait to share with my other collecting friends what I had found. And so I invited my friend Eric to come over. And Eric, if you're watching, I'm sorry that I'm about to tell the story. Eric came over, we were in my room, we had all our cards everywhere, we were looking through the binder, and I'm like, here it is, like a light beam came on it, oh, the $16 card, the Holy Grail. We got to rejoice together, yes, I wish I had one of those cards. I'm like, well, you don't, I do. (laughs) But then when Eric left, I didn't have that card anymore. There's a big blank spot in my binder where Frank Thomas used to sit, like, gone, gone. And and so out of the depths of my soul, I cried out with the, the only word that could solve my dilemma. I cried out, Mom! And my mom, knowing that something grave had happened to her son, her only son, came into the room like, what happened? I'm like, Frank, he's gone, he's gone pointed at the thing, and so she consoled me, and then she's pulled some sort of mom ninja move that moms have, where 20 minutes later there was a knock at our door. There were some phone calls behind the scenes with my mom and Eric's mom, evidently, because Eric was at the door, so was Frank Thomas, and so was his mom. She was the one holding Eric's ear, and he was escorted by his mom's 
two fingers into my entryway at our house, and he, with all the energy he could muster through tears, spit out the line that I'm sure was force-fed to him on the car ride to our house. I'm sorry, I stole this, please forgive me, here it is. I was oblivious, so I'm like, okay, thanks. And I like walked away and he just like crumples into a heap. I'm like, uh. But I got a glimpse in that moment of how a human being is supposed to respond when they do something wrong and they need to make it right. And that's our title today, Making It Right. Because when, when, when you steal someone's baseball card, Sometimes it's not enough to say, I'm sorry. You gotta give the card back, right? You gotta do something that repairs the broken relationship. This is what was instilled upon us by our moms, our parents growing up. You gotta make it right. And the problem is, as we've grown up, the stakes have raised, right? People aren't stealing our baseball cards in college. Now your friend stole your boyfriend, right? And and she calls, she's like, I'm so sorry that Tommy and I are together now. And you're like, that's nice that you're sorry, but I want my boyfriend back, right? Give him back, he was mine, you took him, I want it back, I want you to fix it. But as adults, we know it's not that simple because the thing stolen from us has thoughts and feelings of his own in that case, and sometimes it's not that easy. But the truth remains, when something's made wrong, it's gotta be made right, and a lot of times, you gotta do something to fix it. And this is why when you stay at a hotel, and you have something happen to you in your stay that is not pleasing to you, and you end up having to talk to the manager, hopefully you've done this very nicely when you've done this, the manager comes out, and she or he uses the line that they were trained to use in moments like this. They say, I'm so sorry, what can we do to make it right? Right? That's when the stars come up in your eyes, the dollar signs. Like, ooh, maybe another two weeks for free at your resort or a partner resort near me, right? And you want to just get what you can because you feel like, yes, my breakfast was cold. I don't just want new bacon. I want free breakfast tomorrow and the next day as well because I want you to prove your sorry with eggs, right? Prove it. Give me my card back. Fix it. You know, the Bible talks throughout the Old Testament a lot lot of times about this concept of restitution, how to fix things when you've wronged someone, and we see that based on the gravity of the sin you've committed, the more you have to do to fix the problem. The Old Testament teaches us that if you borrow a friend's ox, for example, and it dies on your watch, it's not enough to like drag the ox back and be like, thanks for letting me borrow it, right? You gotta get him a new one. Sorry, you broke their lawnmower, right? Buy him a new lawnmower. But it says if you steal their ox and it dies on your watch, you gotta give them back a little more. And if you, this is the worst one, this is the 4X restitution. If you steal a piece of their livestock and then you slaughter it and kill it, you gotta pay them back four times the amount. The more malice that was connected, the more damage that was connected, the more ill repair that has been caused to the relationship that was affected, the more you have to do to make things right. right, Chances are you're in here and there's a relationship in your life that has been made wrong because you did something, you said something. And you would think, I said one phrase to you and it hurt your feelings, so now I'll just say another phrase to you, I'm sorry, we're good, right? 
But sometimes when the phrase that came out of your mouth was more harmful than a normal phrase, it's gonna take more words than I'm sorry or more actions than I'm sorry to make things right again. But, but what is that? What do you do in those moments? You say, I'm sorry, and you give him a gift card to Chili's or something? Like, how, how do you actually fix a broken relationship? You know, it's Mother's Day. Some of you are having a hard time today because you know you're supposed to call your mom, but you've done something that's broken that relationship, and you really want to give her something or do something today to show her that you want to make it right, but you don't know what that is, right? Is it a bouquet of flowers, a real big one? Is it taking all the leftover roses from the church and giving it to your mom? That's probably not it, right? What is it? What do we have to do, right? That's why sometimes we go to people kind of like that hotel manager and say, just tell me what I need to do to fix this. That's like a common husband line. Just tell me, what do I need to do to fix it? And I'll do it, right? You want me to write you a check, right? You want a gift card somewhere? You want to take tomorrow off work and we'll go do something? Just tell me what to do. But whenever you say, just tell me what to do, it doesn't work. Because there's a way to make things right that works. There's a way to make things right that doesn't work. And and honestly, there are times that we just can't, as much as we try. The damage we've caused seems to be irreparable. And so we're gonna look at the story of Zacchaeus today because this is a brilliant story of a man whose heart is so transformed that he just wants to make it right. He'll do anything. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, that's amazing. He ends the story by saying, salvation has come to this house today. This answer is amazing. And so if you today need to make something right, you should take notes today. If you don't have any broken relationships in your life, if you have not done anything wrong that's caused distance between you and someone else, you can either take a nap or you can take notes because you will, right? And you will need the tools we learn in this text today. So I'm gonna give you a little context about Zacchaeus. I'm gonna give you two things that you can do to make things right, and then we're gonna learn from Zacchaeus's uh, lesson that he ta- teaches us at the end of the passage. So start taking notes quickly. Here's three things that we know about the person named Zacchaeus in this text. Anyone want to guess the first one? What's the first thing you know about Zacchaeus? Oh, here's a t- oh, wow, you guys are more advanced than the first service. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know something even more, more basic than that. I was going to say bigger than that, but it's actually smaller than that. He was a wee little man, right? You guys know that song growing up? I didn't go to Sunday school. I felt like it put me at a huge disadvantage. I've, I've overcome. Uh, but if you did, you learned the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. It's pretty much the whole song. Uh, And so this is the biggest thing that we learn as we look at the text and we go to Sunday school about Zacchaeus was that he was short. The lamentable thing about this truth is that this almost has no effect on the text whatsoever. It doesn't really matter that he was short. It only has narrative significance. He was short means he had to climb a tree. That's why we had to know this. And so there's no spiritual meaning that I can discern. There's nothing you need to take away from. I'm really sorry that if you came to Sunday school here and we taught you that song in the 60s or whenever it was, that that's the big thing you know about Zacchaeus. But you gotta know, he was short, right? The second thing's more important, and you guys actually said it, very good, that he was a tax collector. See? Even today, people don't like tax collectors. He was a chief tax collector, the text says. 
Remember week two of this series? We, we talked about a parable of a man who had to settle accounts with a king, and we made the guess that most likely that was his job, a chief tax collector. These were the people who'd get hissed at like that in their day because chief tax collectors made their riches by taking advantage of their own people. Like these were Jewish folks who decided, I don't care if everyone hates me, I'm gonna make a living taking as much money from my fellow Jewish folks as I possibly can. And so if he was a wealthy tax collector, that Luke says he was, he was wealthy because he took that money out of the pocketbooks of everyone in his community and he had amassed great wealth for himself. This concept that he was a tax collector actually does have significance. It has moral significance because as we read this text, we can't help but understand that Zacchaeus was a sinner and everybody knew it. Everybody knew Everybody was mad at Zacchaeus. So that hissing sound somebody made up there, everybody was making the hissing sound. Nobody liked the tax collectors. And so this is the context that brings this man into this encounter with Jesus was that he was someone who was outside of the community because the choices he'd made in his life about his vocation and how he'd make his money just wronged everybody. everybody. You ever feel like everybody's mad at you? That was Zacchaeus. Everybody was mad at him because of something he'd done wrong on purpose. This is a story about his restoration, but that's the beginning of the story. He was short, he was a tax collector, and then the other narrative that we learn from the song that doesn't seem to have significance, but I believe actually may have the greatest significance to understanding this story is that he climbed a sycamore tree. The text tells us it was a sycamore hyphen fig tree, a sycamore fig tree. Why is this significant? This is significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, have you ever heard the prodigal son story? Uh, the pastor who teaches it always talks about the fact that at the end when the father is running, it's scandalous because adult men did not run in Jesus' day. That's like, whoa, look at him. He's running after his son. He must be shamelessly in love with his son. That's true. Another thing that adult men did not do in the day of Jesus was climb trees, right? Much like this day, right? The only reason adult man is climbing a tree is either because he's still a child at heart or because he's chasing one of his children up a tree, right? Usually children are the ones who climb trees. And Zacchaeus being a short man, I think he was probably four, five-ish, they were saying in the commentaries we were reading, like a short person, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so even more than just a, an average heighted adult man climbing a tree, this man had to climb a tree because he, he had this uh, the posture in his life that this would be a pretty shameful thing for him to do, to admit, like, uh, I just can't see because I'm so short. I got to climb a tree. I know I'm an adult grown man climbing a tree. Ugh, right? There's some, there's some weightiness there. There's some significance there. Now, I wrote on the, the notes that it's symbolic significance because the thing that you can't see in the text is what a sycamore fig tree represents. Now, a sycamore fig tree was called in those days the tree of the poor. Uh, because that was the type of tree that was very cheap to produce. It grew really quickly. And so poor folks who didn't have a lot of resources, and they're probably poor because Zacchaeus had taken all their money, poor folks would generally plant sycamore fig trees because they grew up quick. They could eat the fruit. They could chop it down. They could use the wood to build their uh, homes. And so we see this man, the wealthiest man in town, who's made his wealth on the backs of the other people, who usually thinks he's high and mighty, when he catches a glimpse of Jesus and 
and is overwhelmed with this, I need to make a change in my life moment, he humbles himself. He, he climbs this tree and he puts himself in this posture where he's like, I don't care how dumb this makes me look. I don't care what people are gonna say about me. I don't care that they're gonna throw figs at me while I'm up here in this tree. I just need to connect with Jesus right now. So if you're taking notes about what to do if you're trying to make things right in your own life, here's the first point that I think we learned from this, this profile of Zacchaeus is that making it right, it begins with humbly seeking Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's not where it ends, but that is where it starts. You might be thinking like, oh, what a waste of a point. Didn't we just talk about this last week? Of course, everything begins with Jesus, right? But part of what we want to teach you as you come to this church is, yes, everything begins with Jesus. But on the other hand, the reason that this is the first point is not merely because it's the first point in the text, but because I think this is something that when you're at a place in life that you need to go make things right, you have to remember this point. Right? Because there are some of us who rush to go fix things with people, but we don't rush through Jesus' office to get there, right? We're just like, oh no, what have I said? I gotta fix it. I pick up the phone. I gotta fix it. I get in my car. I gotta fix it. We dust off the baseball card and drive across town. I gotta fix it with them. So before you go fix it with them, you gotta fix it. Thanks, Norris, with him. I like that. I'm gonna use that. Ah, this is my last sermon. I'm gonna use that next time I preach this. I gotta fix it with him before you fix it with them. That's what you gotta do. You gotta humbly seek Jesus. You know, the other reason this is important is because some of you are not those who are rushing to fix it. Some of you are the ones who are the conflict avoiders in the room. I'd say raise your hand, but you won't, right? Conflict avoiders in the room. And generally, we know when we've messed up, it's like, oh, I do not wanna talk to them about it. I don't even wanna talk to God about it because he might make me talk to them about it. <laughs> and so where we gotta start is we gotta humbly seek Jesus Christ and say, okay, I blew it. I need to fix it with you. And I need to talk to you about this first before I do anything else. Zacchaeus, in the beginning of the text, he's not looking to fix things with his neighbor. He just knows he needs Jesus and so he humbles himself. Right, this word humble is important too. If you wrote that down, circle it. Go find a highlighter and highlight it, underline it humbly seeks Jesus Christ because this posture of humility is a posture that, that making things right with another person, it will not work until you humble yourself. If you've got an ounce of pride in you, when you go to have the hard conversation with somebody, they're gonna sniff that right out, right? If you're coming to them and saying like, hey, you know what, like, yeah, I said something bad, but you gotta understand, I was having a tough day, it's not gonna work, right? You gotta start by humbling yourself with him before you can go and humbly present yourself to them. Now, a lot of times we're scared to do that because what's God gonna say when we talk to him? Because some of the things that we do are pretty bad. And some of us, we've talked about this before. It's hard to go to Jesus because we feel so ashamed and we're wondering, okay, I don't know if my friend's gonna accept me again, but the last thing I want is for him not to accept me again. That's why I love what Jesus does when Zacchaeus humbles himself and is like trying to get his attention. It says in verse five that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
Right, there's three words in, in this little sentence that just pop out at you, and they are all there in the Greek text, emphatically glaring up at us. It says, immediately, I must come to your house today. Immediately, must, today. It's like a, a hold everything moment. Stop the parade. I know maybe he was passing through town, maybe he was coming to do ministry in town, but this is the equivalent of Jesus turning to his advisors and saying, cancel my calendar, get rid of all of my engagements, because today my only agenda item is connect with this one man who wants to make things right with me. And it says later, salvation has come to this house because the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. But if you're someone who is far from Jesus, and you think, man, I, I want to make it right with him, but I don't know if he would give me the time of day. I don't know if he would want to connect with me. I feel like God has much more important things on his mind than to hang out with me. I feel like God would much rather hang out with a faithful person than a messed up person like me. I just have to tell you, and I'll try to say it nicely, you're wrong. Jesus says, my whole mission is to find people who are wrong with God and make them right with God again. Now, this is why Jesus says things like, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. He says, this is why I exist. I love to see people who are messed up and broken down and who have squandered their lives. I love to see them turn to me. And if you turn to Jesus with whatever sin you have, the moment you turn to him, it's like the moment in heaven where like the DJ goes like, and everyone's like, that guy, let's go to that guy, that girl, let's go to that girl, let's fix this right now. Immediately, I must stay at your house today. I'm coming over. When we talk about shameful things in this text, climbing a tree is a shameful act. You know what else is a shameful act in the first century? Inviting yourself over to somebody else's house for dinner. Now, that's shameful in our context too, I guess, right? But some of you want Mother's Day dinner, you know the type of person who's like, hey, what are you guys eating? Yeah, what time should I be there, right? That's something you don't normally do in any context. Hospitality was a much bigger deal in Jesus' day. And the only type of people who were allowed to invite themselves over for dinner were verifiable prophets. And so part of what Jesus is doing is making a claim about himself that, you know what, my opinion is more valuable than anyone else's. My position is one where I speak the very words of God and I'm coming to your house today because we're gonna make this thing right before I leave town. Isn't that cool? So if you're in a spot where you are hesitant to bring your sin to God, God is just like, come on, let's do it, let's do it, come on, come on. This is what his favorite thing seems to be. So bring it to him. Make it right with him before you make it right with them. I think... We know, if, if you've been around church for a while, that, and you've gone through this rhythm of bringing your sin to God, that a lot of times bringing your stuff to God is not the hardest thing, right? The hardest part of this whole making it right thing is bringing your sin to other people, right? Because God has a great attitude towards you. He's excited about your repentance. He wants to see you restored. A lot of times the people you've sinned against, they don't want to see that, right? They want to see you squirm. They want to see you suffer. They want to see you punished for the things that you've done. They are not excited even about you connecting with the Lord, right? You turning over a new leaf is distasteful to them, right? They, and they begin to talk about you, get irritated about you. That's what we see happening in this passage. Jesus is super excited 
<laughs> Zacchaeus' community is not as excited about his coming to faith in Jesus. It says in verse seven that, that all the people saw this and began to mutter. This is the word that's used uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament where the Israelites would mumble and grumble in the, in the wilderness. They began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. <clears throat> Jesus. Doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? This guy's acting like a prophet. If he's a prophet, he would know that this guy has stolen our money. He would know that this guy is the guy we all hate in town. He would know that this guy isn't worth restoring. He would know that his house is one you should not step foot into. And Zacchaeus has come a long way with Jesus very quickly. But Zacchaeus still has a long way to go with the community that he's hurt so desperately. I think this is part of what's really hard about this concept of making it right is a lot of us feel like we got a long way to go with the people that we've hurt. And sometimes the chasm feels insurmountable. And sometimes it feels like there's, there's no way to, to fix it. You've, the damage has been done. They've moved on with their lives. Some of us have hurt people who are no longer with us. And we're wondering, how do I make things right? I, I really hurt my family member, and now they're gone. They've died. They've gone to be with Jesus, and I can never make it up. Some of us live in this pit of despair because we just, we look at the world we live in, and we think, there's no way they'd take me back. There's no way I can fix this. There's no way I could even ever make it up to them. At the same time, it's really hard to start trying when everyone out there is muttering <laughs> about you, is talking about you. When you're the guy who shows up in the conversation and it stops, or you're the one who shows up at the party and people start to leave, or you're the one where people walk away when you walk towards them. They begin to mutter. And one thing I noticed in this text that I never noticed before studying it for the sermon is that when the people are muttering, they're actually not muttering about him. They're muttering about Jesus. Right? Their minds are already made up about him, I guess. But the complaints that these people are making is kind of the complaint like, what kind of God forgives someone like Zacchaeus? What, what kind of God would take someone like that in with open arms? He says he's a Christian now. What kind of God would accept someone who's done this to his family in the past, who came out of prison after doing that sin, who's hurt so many people? What kind of God would ever forgive someone like you? And this is one of the reasons that a lot of us don't want to go make amends because we're scared it's going to give Jesus a bad reputation or something. And yet I love, one of the things I love from this text that I want to challenge you with is that Jesus does not seem very concerned about what angry people think about him. Amen. Jesus is more concerned with rejoicing that someone's life is turning around. I also wanna point out in this text that when you're getting real nervous about how to make things right with the people in your life and you don't know where to turn or how the next step is, all that, maybe you've never noticed this before, but in this text here, we, we never see Zacchaeus engage with the people he's wronged. You might be thinking about, no, 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 he says, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repay you four times. He doesn't say that. He says, Lord, I'm going to repay them four times. 
Right, when they're talking about Jesus, it seems like they're talking about Jesus from afar. He connects with Jesus. Jesus says, let's go to your house. They talk about Jesus behind Jesus' back. He goes and dines with Jesus. And then between him and Jesus, he starts making a plan of how he's gonna make things right on the other side of this interesting day. All of Zacchaeus' work in this amazing passage on restitution is work that he's doing between him and Jesus, which brings us to our second point. The first one was making things right with Jesus. The second point is this, your plans to make things right must come out of your humble conversations with Jesus Christ. That's what Zacchaeus is doing, right? So, so this is not just a couple check boxes, right? Like, okay, I'm gonna go pray, God's gonna forgive me, I'm good with him. Okay, God, now I'm gonna go talk to my friends. That's not how it works, right? Some of us are like chomping at the bit to go fix things with people. Your job is not to go fix things with people. Your first step is to connect with Jesus, and your second step is to connect with Jesus about what you should do to connect with people. And there's a difference. Because a lot of times what Jesus calls you to do is not what you would naturally think you ought to do. I've had people in my own life call me out on stuff and say, hey, how come you didn't do this? How come you didn't do that? I would have wanted you to do that. And all I can say is I've been really seeking the Lord about this and I don't feel like that's what he wants me to do as my next step. And I don't feel like I'm skirting away from what I should do. I just feel like this is what God is calling me to do. Right? Sometimes God's gonna calm you down and say, hey, I know you wanna go chase down your wife and get her back after you've done all this blah, 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 but maybe you should give it some time, God might say. Maybe you should pray more before you start running and knocking down her door today, right? Maybe, maybe God's gonna say, get off your couch and go to your wife's house, right? Who knows what he's gonna say? Maybe God's gonna say, maybe you should talk to some other Christian people about this and get some wisdom. Right? What does James say? If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Maybe that conversation with the Lord is God, I really wanna fix things with my parents, but I have no idea how. God, will you show me what the next step I need to make today is? And sometimes you're gonna walk out of that conversation with the Lord and he's gonna say, pick up the phone. Sometimes God's gonna say, you know what? You just gotta stop reaching out. Just stop, calm down. Talk to me about this now. Talk to them later. Sometimes God's gonna give you some out of the box thing to do. But your plans for making things right, they have to come out of the humble conversations you're having with Jesus Christ. God and Zacchaeus have this conversation and Zacchaeus comes out with this, this bold claim of what his plan's gonna be, one that I'm guessing can only come out of a conversation with the Lord. It's very bold, and so I don't think that God is calling you to do exactly what Zacchaeus did, but I, I wanna take a glimpse at the conversation that Zacchaeus had with the Lord and glean some of the principles about what God is teaching us about how to make restitution, how to make things right, and it all comes out of this claim that Zacchaeus makes before Jesus in verse eight. It says, Zacchaeus stood up, probably as a response to the muttering in his community. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, and he says it again, look, Lord, (laughs) here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. I think we can learn three things about making it right from Zacchaeus' bold claim here. The first thing that we see in the Zacchaeus story is that his response is sacrificial, sacrificial. I mean, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor? That's a sacrifice. 
Imagine, I don't know what you own, rack it up in your mind. What's the net worth of all the stuff that you own? All your property, your cars, if you own a house, whatever. Take that big number or small number, whatever it is, chop it in half and imagine writing a check to the charity of your choice for that amount today, right? That's a lot of money, a lot percentage-wise of your money. Half your possessions, it's sacrificial. And if he's doing that plus saying, hey, and if I've made any of my wealth through ill-gotten gain, I will repay 4X what's, what I've taken advantage of. It's like even if 10 to 15% of his money was taken improperly, this claim is gonna totally bankrupt the guy. Or he's gonna have to liquidate everything, sell off half of his stuff, give the money to the poor, and then just start sending out checks for the rest of his life until he's broke and bankrupt. He is so transformed that his response is sacrificial. I think it's important for us to understand because a lot of times we wanna make things right in a way that doesn't hurt us at all. And I can't imagine a scenario where if you've truly wronged someone, that making things right is not gonna hurt a little bit. I think, man, I've been such a terrible son. I just did not live up to the life that I should have for my mom. I've given her so much grief. I'm gonna give her an extra 20 bucks in her Mother's Day card this year, right? It's like, no, that's, that's not what you should do, right? Like, oh, maybe I should give her 50 bucks. Like, no, you're on the wrong path. Right? Go talk to Jesus about what you should do, right? But at the very least, if it doesn't hurt, if it's easy, if you could write a check and mail it and hope it works, that's probably not the type of sacrifice that God is calling you to make. Right? At the same time, it's, the principle is not, listen, just go give a bunch of money and you'll solve it. Right? Part of it's this idea of like the punishment must fit the crime. Right? He took a bunch of money. Now he's going to give back a bunch of money. He's going to sacrifice. Some of you are in trouble because you took a bunch of time from someone. And you weren't there for your kids when they were growing up. They never saw their mom or they never saw their dad. And you stole so much time. You can't give back time by giving them money. You gotta figure out how to sacrifice your time to build a relationship because the punishment, the restitution, a lot of times has to fit the crime that you've committed. It takes time to earn back time. It takes money to give back money. But I would guess that most of us who are in hot water with someone, it's not because we took money from them. It's because we took something that's a little harder to give back. So it requires some sacrifice and some wrestling with the Lord. So his response is sacrificial. Second thing we see about Zacchaeus' response is that it's generous. Four times the amount. We talked a little bit about the Old Testament concept of restitution. 4X was the greatest amount of restitution that could ever be given for anything. In fact, there was only one thing, I said it earlier, that would require a 4X response. That's if you stole someone's animal, killed it on purpose, and then ate it or sacrificed it. Interestingly, this is the exact concept that Nathan brought to David in the sermon last week. Remember that? Nathan comes to David, he tells him this great story about a man who steals the one and only sheep from his neighbor, slaughters it, and feeds it to his sheep. He's trying to give David a picture that you've done the most heinous thing imaginable. This is something that requires 4X restitution. Zacchaeus is saying, what I've done is so heinous in my eyes. I just want to be so generous to pay it back sacrificial, but it's also generous. They're kind of the opposite. Imagine that illustration I gave you of be a dad who's been a workaholic and he hasn't been there to see his kids grow up, right? It's a sad story that I know a lot of 
fathers have experienced where one day you wake up and you think, what have I done? I've missed my kid's life. How am I going to fix it, right? The most common way that dads try to fix this or moms try to fix this or whoever tries to fix this is they come home and they say, I'm turn over a new leaf. I'm going to come home at five every day from here on out. It's like, okay, that's nice, right? But that's what you're supposed to do. Like that's not, that's not above and beyond. That's not generous. That's not sacrificial. That's just being a normal person, right? That doesn't fix anything. That's nice. Right? Sometimes there's a more sacrificial thing. You know what? I realize I've been such a terrible dad, so we're going to take a vacation together. It's like, okay, tell me more about that. I'm going to take a week off of work. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon. We're going to spend time with the family. Then I'm going to go back to working 100 hours a week again. Right? It's like, okay. That's a little bit sacrificial. It's a little bit generous. But it doesn't really show the indication of a, a completely transformed life. Right? This is not necessarily what you should do, right? So don't do what I'm about to say tomorrow or anything. You could. But the equivalent in Zacchaeus' experience would be the dad who, who spent so much time at work that he earned all these riches for his family because someday he wanted to give his kids money and he realized, but what am I doing? I haven't even been there for them. And he was cut to the heart. And he met with the Lord and said, God, what should I do? And God gave him a plan that was sacrificial and generous. And so he came home and said, okay, wife, kids, whoever, I'm sorry. I, I haven't been there for you and I know I can't get the years back that I missed, but I want to do everything I can from here on out to make sure that we have a relationship that's real as you move into adulthood, and I mean it. Today, I quit my job. I cashed out all of my stock options, all of my, everything. I cashed it all out. It's gone. It's all in our account now, and we're going to take all that money that I was trying to save up to have a relationship with you later, and I'm going to invest it in now, and so we're going to spend the next five years, and we're just going to travel the world we're going to spend time as a family. I'm going to homeschool you. Everybody's like, oh, geez, we don't even want this, right? It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this, right? I spent so much time away from you. I'm going to be with you 100% of the time because my life has been so transformed. I'm never going to work again, right? All of us are like, I wish I could do this. Except for the person whose life has not been transformed. It's like, ugh, I would never want to do that, right? His response is that level generous. I will, I will use everything that I've gained in the past. I'm gonna spend all the cash I've received, every last fiber of my being on this quest to fix the things that I've broken with you guys. Now, who knows if it was enough to win back his community, but Zacchaeus is making this claim that I'm gonna use every last penny I've got to fix this because I mean it, I mean it. He really meant it. His response was sacrificial. His response was generous. And his response is out of the overflow of a transformed life. I don't want to miss that. This is not just him like writing up a cool little strategic plan to fix his relationship with the community. Something broke and changed in his heart. That's why Jesus' response to Zacchaeus is not like, oh, cool idea. But Jesus' response to Zacchaeus in verse 9, he says, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, because the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus says, when I showed up in town, this guy was lost. He was unsaved. He was far from me in every way. And this response that I'm hearing can only come from a person who's been radically transformed. And he was lost. He's found now. He was unsaved, he's saved now. You might have called him a child of hell. He's a son of Abraham 
now. He's one of y'all now. He's part of your community now. Yeah, he had a bad past. But I'm telling you, he's been truly and radically transformed. And he's going to be different. I know that's the thing that we always want to tell people from us. Hey, I've been changed. I'm going to be different. The beautiful thing here is we see that Jesus is the one who needs to say that about you. And Jesus is the one who needs to tell your husband, he's, she's different now. Jesus is the one who needs to tell your mom, hey, your son has changed. And if you want to go to your mom and say, hey, I messed up my life, but I want to make things right, I think the best thing that you could possibly say to start to change her mind that you've actually changed this time is, no, 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 this time I've been working on this with the Lord, and he's changing me from the inside out. So I'm hoping that over time you will see that this is real, that this is sticking, and I'm praying that this time will be different. The humility that has to come out of our own mouths is an indication that God is truly doing his work in us in those moments. And so wherever you are in this, this is good notes for the future, this is something you need to do today, or maybe you're not a believer in Jesus and you just need to take your life and lay it at his feet today and say, okay, I just need to start with you for everything. I've squandered my whole life. I've ruined every relationship. I've just, I don't know why there's so much collateral damage in my life because I've gone after a way that I thought was right for me. I need to come to you and let you rebuild my life from the ground up. Wherever you're at with that, don't leave this place today until you do some connection with the Lord on these things. Saying, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Saying, I need a plan from you of how to make things right with my brother, my sister, my neighbor. We've got a prayer room out in the lobby. We've got prayer workers online you can connect with. And we'd love for you to start the conversation with him, even in community today. So let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in worship. And if you need to stick around and pray today, we'd love to pray with you. But let's pray together right now.